John chapter 3, verses 1 to 21. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the son of man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but the people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the light, but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Well, thanks, Jazz, and uh, good morning, everyone. My name is Cam Maxwell. I'm the campus pastor here at Trinity Church Tonsley. Uh, it's really great to have John with us today, uh, keeping us, uh, lifting our eyes, uh, remembering how important it is that our whole country has access uh, to the good news about Jesus. Um, I'm from the country myself, so I'm a doubly big fan of uh, Bush Church Aid, uh, and I really want us to be a church that's supporting and uh, caring about ministries outside of the city. Uh, I'm really excited by uh, the thought of mission trips from places like from here to places like Broken Hill, uh, and you'll be hearing more about that uh, as the year goes on. The reason I moved to uh, Adelaide, uh, like many people, was for uni. Uh, and one of the first pieces of advice I was given as a uni student by an older student uh, was the old maxim, P's get degrees. Uh, a pass mark is all you need. Don't worry about distinctions. Don't do too much work. Aim for 51% in your subjects because 52% is 1% wasted effort. Uh, some of you know that. Uh, the person who told me that clearly wasn't an international student, and I, I don't know what this person's doing now, by the way. Um, I understand things have changed a lot at uni since my time, and for some of you, especially you students, even hearing that you should aim low uh, will be stressing you out. It does seem, though, a pretty common approach, not just to study, uh, but to life. Uh, people thinking, well, I want God to let me into heaven, so I just want to do just enough, uh, just enough good things to be just good enough for his approval. I just want a pass mark from God, because 
that's all I want. That's all I need. And so people will look around. Uh, they'll see what others are doing. Uh, they'll try and do the same things just to kind of uh, be, be graded on the same curve. Uh, not doing too much extra because, you know, you want to be nice, you want to be kind, you want to be generous, but you don't want to be a fanatic. You don't want to get carried away. Maybe it means uh, doing things like going to church sometimes, uh, giving to charity, helping others, just wanting to be a good person. And yes, all your friends would say, yes, you're a good person. That's a good thing. For other sorts of people, uh, you're not going to risk a pass mark from God. That's not enough. You may get nervous about that low bar approach to life. You don't want to scrape into heaven with a pass mark. You want to be at the front of the line uh, getting a gold star. Still others are here today. Um, no matter how much uh, other people say you are a good person, you might just feel like a failure. Uh, you might feel the weight of the mess in your life and the thought of standing before God is not at all a comfortable thought. Maybe then you work twice as hard as everyone else to be good, uh, to sacrifice yourself, uh, but with a sense of dread uh, driving you along. Whether you're coasting along, uh, assuming God will give you a pass mark, uh, if you're working hard at being a good person that God approves of, whether you have no confidence that you deserve that mark or full confidence that God will approve of you on the day you meet him and give, of your and give account for your life, Whatever the case, John chapter 3 may be the most important part of the Bible to explore this morning. It may just change your life entirely. That's a good thing you're here. For those here who have already had your lives turned around uh, and uh, absolutely upended by what Jesus has to say here in chapter 3, if that's already you, uh, I still think this is one of the most important parts of the Bible for us to look at this morning. There are some wonderful truths here, some encouraging truths that we as followers of Jesus should never move on from. And so I'd encourage you to keep John chapter 3 open in front of you in the Bibles as we look at it together. Over the past few weeks, we've been working through John's Gospel, and John, the author, who was one of Jesus' friends, his disciples, John has given us an incredible introduction to Jesus. Those sermons are all online on our website if you're keen to catch up, although last week we had some tech issues and missed that recording, very sorry. In any case, this passage introduces us to Nicodemus. And to understand this conversation, what's going on, it's worth trying to get to know Nicodemus. What's his deal? What's, what's he about? So we're told in verse 1 that he was a Pharisee, and he was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Pharisees uh, were very devout, they were very moral, uh, very upright Jewish people. Uh, they were very concerned about God's laws being kept and by always doing the right thing. The high distinction type people. Nicodemus is a good guy. He's aiming to be the best he can be. He would give at least 10% of his income away. Uh, he's keeping all the rules he can. He's not going to satisfy, be satisfied with a pass mark. He wants to be front of the line, gold star. Alongside of that, he's also very respected. He's basically a member of parliament, part of the Jewish ruling council. That is, he's made it in life. He's important. He's making decisions about the good of his nation. That is, he's a community leader, a good man, a respected man. And you can tell he's concerned about the spiritual state of his nation, Israel. If you look down at verse 10 in the passage here, Jesus says to him, you are Israel's teacher. That is, he's not just a teacher, he is the teacher of Israel, the most famous, the biggest name of the day. It seems he is the expert, probably on Old Testament law, in the whole country. He's a leader, he's a Bible teacher, he's a moral example to everyone. His mother would be proud of Nicodemus. So for a moment, just have a think. Uh, who do you know a bit like that? 
Try and think of the nicest person you know, the most respectable person you know. Who do you wish to be more like? That's Nicodemus. Now, as I think about that, there's plenty of people who come to mind, uh, plenty of lovely people here, here in this room, wonderful people. Uh, but for me, as I think about, who, who does Nicodemus remind me of? Uh, the person that comes to mind most is uh, this guy here on the screen, John Warner. It's actually quite a coincidence he's here today. Um, John's planted churches. He is the nicest guy you will ever meet. John will do anything for anyone. Uh, and what a noble job he has, travelling the country, encouraging people, equipping them, uh, and teaching the Bible. If you haven't already picked it up, John has a giant brain. Anything John can't teach you from the Bible is not worth knowing. Uh, what a respectable guy. I've also had the honour of meeting John's mother, and she is very proud, I can assure you. And you can also tell from my hairdo, I aspire to be more like John in every way. As we meet Nicodemus here, uh, we're supposed to realise he's a great guy, the best kind of guy. If anyone deserves a pass mark from God, it's got to be Nicodemus, right? So we might think. And so Nicodemus thinks. And so Nicodemus comes to Jesus in verse 2 because he's seen and heard what Jesus has been saying and doing. And Nicodemus basically says in verse 2, look, Jesus, I think you're a good guy. And as a good guy myself, I just want to say welcome. Uh, welcome, Jesus, to the good guy club. I think we're going to get on just fine. Turns out, though, Jesus is not that interested in what Nicodemus thinks of him. Before we have a look at what Jesus says, one key bit of context for this conversation comes just before this. Uh, at the end of chapter 2, from verse 23, I think I'll put this on the screen. Yes, uh, you can read along as well. Uh, this is chapter 2, verse 23. While he, that's Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. So there we have the very next verse. Here is a person. What is in each person? That's what Jesus knows, what's in each person. Here we have exhibit A. Nicodemus is a case study, and we can see in him what's inside each of us. So as we watch this exchange between Jesus and Nicodemus, Jesus knows what's inside him, it's a confidence in his own achievements, in his own goodness, in his own knowledge, in his own respectability. Nicodemus has assessed his own life and given himself a pass mark, a confidence that God will accept him. And it seems that is what is in each one of us, in each person, a tendency to depend on ourselves, to earn God's favour, to show God how good we are, and perhaps a confidence as well, a confidence, yes, God should accept me, I'm great. Jesus tells Nicodemus very bluntly here, actually, no, you have no chance of eternal life. As you are, you are doomed. If that's Jesus' assessment of Nicodemus, then that's surely, it's true for each of us too. So let's have a look more closely. What is Jesus saying here in verses 1 to 8? Let's, uh, let's have a look through. Uh, verse 2, Nicodemus says, Jesus, you're a really nice guy. And verse 3, Jesus replies, Nicodemus you're doomed. You are in a hopeless situation. You have no chance of seeing God's kingdom. It feels a bit on par, doesn't it, with a conversation that goes, hi, mate, it's a nice day, isn't it? In the end, death comes to us all. It's a massive gear change, isn't it? Conversation started so nicely, Nicodemus was respectful, but Jesus may as well have just kicked him in the groin after the effect this has on the conversation. Your religion won't save you. The good things you do won't save you. Uh, your great learning and civic service won't save you. 
Nicodemus won't be saved. The only thing that will save him, it sounds ridiculous, it sounds impossible, it's being born again. Now that phrase, being born again, it's quite familiar, I suspect. Uh, We might not um, think about it that much. In fact, we might hear that phrase and cringe a little bit. We've heard it used in media in uh, all sorts of ways. What does Jesus mean by it, though? Is it something about having a fresh start, maybe? But why would Nicodemus, of all people, why would he need a fresh start? Nicodemus, in verse 4, probably in some state of shock, points out the very obvious. We, we can't literally be born again. That's, that's insane. Well, you know, thanks, Captain Obvious. To be fair, though, what does Jesus mean to be born again? Have a look at verse 5. Jesus basically restates what he's just said, and he spells out a bit more about what he's talking about here, what it means to be born again. Verse 5, Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Now, I'm not sure if that clears it up for us or not, actually. Uh, Here we're told uh, being born again is something like being born of water and the Spirit. Is it maybe something about baptism? Is that the water thing? But if it's about baptism, why not just say that? Well, Jesus continues, and this is where we start to see the meaning filling out for us. Verse 6, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. Jesus is talking about a spiritual rebirth here. But the biggest clue Jesus gives us is actually in verse 10. Verse 9, Nicodemus says, what, what are you talking about? How can this be? Verse 10, Jesus says, you are Israel's teacher. You should know exactly what I'm talking about. So Nicodemus, according to Jesus, should have known exactly what Jesus was talking about because Nicodemus knows the Old Testament. He knows it well. That means Jesus is, as he's talking about water, wind, a new life, he's drawing from the Old Testament. Now, there are some really important passages in the background here. Uh, If you're taking notes, you might like to look up later, Isaiah chapter 44. Isaiah 44, you can have a look at that later. Uh, There's other parts as well, but the main one I want to take us to is Ezekiel chapter 36. Uh, It'll be on the screen as well, but you might like to turn, uh, it's page 1,315. Ezekiel 36, 1,315. I'm going to read a couple verses from there, from verse 25. Just notice though, the the way that uh, Ezekiel here talks about water, spirit, and new life. This is Ezekiel 36 from verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean, says God. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. And I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. This is what Jesus is talking about. This is what's in the background. God promising to Israel that he would one day wash them clean, a complete forgiveness and purity. And God would make them good and acceptable, and they wouldn't do that themselves. God would. Alongside that, God was going to give them a new heart, a heart that would love God, that would find joy in being obedient to Him. Because the storyline of the Old Testament is basically that God's people, Israel, had hard hearts. They kept rejecting God, kept walking away. God kept loving them. Now, maybe Nicodemus thought, you know, this might be true of other people. Other people need a fresh start. Other people need God to fix them. But Jesus says, no, Nicodemus, you too, you too need to be made clean. You need a new heart, a new life, a new start. And without that, without God changing you entirely, you are doomed. You are in a hopeless situation. His religious devotion, his you know, church attendance, good works, kindness, charity, doesn't mean anything in the long run. 
The only thing that counts is being born again, being changed entirely uh, by God's Spirit, making us brand new from inside out. Turns out, no matter how good we are, we still have a problem with our heart. And to enter the kingdom of God, we do need a heart transplant, a new heart, a new life, and it needs to be brought about by God himself. How can this be? How can we get that new heart, that new life? Well, the short answer is we can't do anything. We're helpless. Just like Nicodemus, who points out how ridiculous it is to literally be born again, we can't do this ourselves. It is ridiculous if we tried. We can't give ourselves a new heart. And that seems to be the point. We really need help. Someone even as lovely and as good as Nicodemus, he needs help from the outside. So then how much more do we, according to Jesus, you and I, how much do we need that help? Jesus knows what is in each person's heart. He knows our pride. He knows our own desire to prove ourselves. And he aims straight for it here, uh, here in John chapter 3. And it's a devastating assessment from Jesus, isn't it? Without outside help, without being made new, no matter how hard we try to please God, you could be even lovelier than John Warner, but without being made new, without being born again, we have no hope. Now, we might not like what Jesus says here, and uh, if this is the first time you're hearing this, that's an entirely reasonable reaction. But just note what Jesus says here in verse 13. Only Jesus has come from heaven to talk about these things. That is, only Jesus has authority, only Jesus has the -the behind-the-scenes knowledge that really matters. The assessment that Jesus gives of our condition is the only one that matters. It's actually only when we accept his assessment, it's only then that we can find help. It's only when we realise how helpless uh, that we are that we find real, solid help and eternal life. Uh, From verse 9 onwards here, and the rest of the passage, it then sort of turns a real corner for us. Uh, After stripping away any confidence we might have in ourselves to get that pass mark from God, Jesus shows us a better pathway, one that gives us complete confidence uh, that God will welcome us into his kingdom. Now, the summary of the rest of this passage is very simple. Uh, The only way to have eternal life is to believe in Jesus. The only way to have eternal life is to believe in Jesus. That's the summary. Uh, That's the main thing we need to know, not just from this passage, but from the Bible. And if you hear nothing else from me today, please know that Jesus came from heaven with this message, believe in him to be saved. Now, how can this be? Uh, That's Nicodemus' pretty natural question in verse 9. He's asking, how can someone be washed clean by God, made pure? How can someone have God's Spirit giving them a new life, a new heart? How can that be? Well, the answer, all that happens when we believe in Jesus. As we put our trust in Him, we are made new, we are given that new life. It's a very simple sentence, believe in Jesus. But what does belief mean? What does that look like? How do we do it? What does belief look like? Well, verses 14 and 15, I think, are the key for helping us see how this all kind of fits together. Uh, Jesus tells us uh, what belief in him involves, what it actually looks like. He gives us a real demonstration of it. Uh, Here in verses 14 and 15, he says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now, the bit about uh, snakes, uh, Moses. Uh, Jesus is recalling a very famous story from Israel's history. 
Uh, again, if you're taking notes and you want to look this up later, it's Numbers chapter 21. Uh, Numbers 21. It'd be good to go and read later. Uh, the story uh, Jesus is talking about here takes place as Moses is leading the nation Israel through the wilderness. Uh, Israel, yet again, sinned very badly. And God sent poisonous snakes. Uh, a lot of people were bitten. They started dying. And so God tells Moses, uh, lift up a bronze snake on a pole. If someone gets bitten, all they have to do to be saved was to look at the snake. That's it. And they would be healed. Just look at the snake. It's a pretty unorthodox approach to snake bite, isn't it? Not trying to suck out the poison or, you know, first aid or anything like that. It's simply trusting in God's plan to save you from a helpless situation. Just accept his help, his offering. That's all it took. Uh, there's a painting, actually, alongside me. I think uh, actually doesn't come out on the screen very well. One of the fascinating things here is you see, as Moses puts the snake up on the pole, people are looking. But for some reason, many don't. Maybe it says something a bit about ourselves, our reluctance to accept God's help sometimes. It's unorthodox, isn't it? No matter how close to death, no matter how far gone someone was, looking to the snake, at the very symbol of their own judgment, actually, that was how they would accept God's help and be saved. In just the same way as that snake on a pole, Jesus says he too will be lifted up. He's speaking, of course, about his cross. All we have to do is to look at him to look to him and believe that the cross is God's plan to save us. The very symbol, the cross, the very symbol that we too deserve God's punishment for sin, to look to that and accept Jesus is God's plan to bring our salvation, to accept that we are sinners that need his help, to accept that our best efforts are all tainted. We do need God's forgiveness. No matter how far gone, no matter how messy no matter how much sin in our lives, believing that Jesus on the cross saves us is the only way to have eternal life. And as we believe in Jesus, that's when we receive that new life, that new heart. Uh, Jesus is putting those two things together for us here, believing in him and having a fresh start, having God's spirit, just takes belief in Jesus. Today I'm going to actually be skipping over mostly uh, verse 16, uh, perhaps the most loved verse in the whole Bible. Uh, which is just telling us why this is all the case. It's because God loves us. Now, I'm going to be speaking more about that next week, actually. For our first birthday, we're going to have our kids in with us, and I thought, let's just preach on John 3.16. So come back for that one. It's a fantastic, uh, fantastic verse to think more about. Because it reveals more and more about God's love for us. He loves us too much to leave us alone. But more on that next week. After all, the, the question that some of you uh, might be asking at this point is, well, can I start again? For those here who haven't made that commitment of belief, uh, accepting the forgiveness and fresh start from Jesus himself, uh, if that's you, it's a very clear challenge this morning from Jesus himself that you need to. There's no other way. Uh, if you want to take steps towards doing that, if you have questions you'd like to explore further, before making that step, we'd, we'd love to help you with that. Uh, please come and speak to me, and, or speak to Joe, who's uh, leading the service, or just make a note on the tear-off slip on your leaflet. And for those who are uh, interested but reluctant to make that kind of step, I just want to uh, take us to the final few verses of the passage we read, because uh, I think it's worth pondering more. Verses 19 to 21, uh, we're given a verdict there. And the verdict explains why people end up rejecting Jesus and refusing to believe in him. The verdict suggesting, actually, it's never, at the end of the day, a rejection because of intellectual reasons. 
It's never because there's insufficient reason uh, or evidence to believe in Jesus. At the end of the day, these verses tell us if someone rejects Jesus, it's because they don't want it to be true. They don't want to have their lives changed. They don't want to start again. Now, this is a massive challenge. Uh, It's very confronting. And so my encouragement here is just to be aware, if that's you, of your own motives. Just be aware of your own biases as you explore the salvation Jesus has to offer. Uh, For the believers here today, for those who who trust very much that Jesus is your saviour, uh, this may well be familiar territory, which is great. And uh, some of you may be wondering, well, well wait, have, have I been born again? Uh, do I have the Spirit? Have I been born of water and the Spirit? Because sometimes it doesn't feel like it. Uh, the most important thing I think I can say here is, if you trust Jesus and not your own goodness, if you trust Jesus for your salvation, your internal life, yes, you have been born again, if that's where you put your trust. And so you will find... Your heart and your concern for the things of the kingdom, they will grow. They will grow as we keep following Jesus. Uh, We'll never be perfect in these ways, but our concern for things like uh, the gospel going out to remote and regional areas will care more and more about those things. You'll care more and more about your brothers and sisters here at church. You want to support and serve and love each other. You'll care about and pray for those who don't know Jesus in in our own neighborhoods. As we follow Jesus, our priorities, our finances our relationships, everything. As God's Spirit goes to work, uh, day in, day out, we become more and more aligned with the kingdom of God and less and less aligned with our own selfish desires. And so an encouragement for Christians from this passage is to keep making sure that we don't start trusting in the good things we're doing. Not trusting in how nice we are or how much of the Bible we know, how many mission trips we've been on to Broken Hill. They're all good things, of course, but keep checking our hearts to make sure our trust is still in Jesus. He's the one who saves us, not the good things we do. He makes us right. Can I start again? There is a challenge that we need to, but there is also the great comfort that we can. Uh, For some here today, the thought of a fresh start, being able to start again, uh, it's not actually a challenge, it's the best news you've ever heard. No matter how far gone you may feel, No matter what mess you may have made of life, you can start again. You can have this brand new life, and one that has assurance to eternity as well. What a great comfort. That in the cross of Christ, all our sins are forgiven. Our hearts are made new by His Spirit. It's not too good to be true, actually. The promises of Jesus, they can be yours today. And it really changes everything. As we finish, did you find yourself wondering uh, what Nicodemus does from here? How does he respond to all this? Uh, we're not told, and if you flick over the page, you won't see, not here. But if you kept reading through John, as you get to chapter 19, Nicodemus was one of the men who took down Jesus' body from the cross. He wrapped him, he anointed his body uh, with spices and oils. Nicodemus was there on that day. Now, I can't prove this. I'm only guessing based on the way he cared for Jesus' body. But it's easy to imagine as Nicodemus stood watching Jesus die, lifted up on that cross, this conversation must have been on his mind, mustn't it? Rolling round and round his head. What does salvation look like? This, apparently. Jesus on the cross. At some point, it seems to me, Nicodemus put his trust in Jesus and his life would never be the same. Maybe for some here this morning, 
you'll be ready to do just that as well. Let's pray. Dear God, we are all in such need of salvation. I thank you for making that clear to us, that our own efforts, our own goodness counts for nothing in the end. We thank you uh, with everything we have for loving us, uh, for sending your Son to die, to wash us clean and to give us a new heart, and for your Spirit to make us new. For anyone here that uh, you're calling to yourself for the first time today, please do give the gift of a fresh start, a new heart. Please give the courage and the faith to make that step. And please help us as a church be a great place to help them find their feet. For all of us, please keep growing our heart for your kingdom and knowing that you have already accepted us by your Son. Please help us find great joy in doing the good works you've prepared in advance for us to do. Amen.